The following is a sermon recorded at Reality Church. Please join Pastor Jason as he exposits the word from Romans. Amen. I'm glad to be here this morning. First of all, I really want to thank all of you for a wonderful uh, pastor appreciation last week. I I enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, Thank you for the bust. If you don't know what a bust is, it's a head statue of one of my heroes of the faith. I call him Chuck Spurgeon. He's Charles Spurgeon, but I call him Chuck. We're on that that kind of uh, relationship. Um, but thank you so much. And for the Bible cover was also very awesome. And, and, and any of you who gave personal gifts, you, you don't know how much I appreciate it. And I love all of you dearly. Um, I, I, I say it and I mean it. I feel like I have it made because I get to come and... And, and pastor some of the greatest people on the planet. And I love all of you dearly. But it's time to get back into our Romans series. Hope you all enjoyed your, your slight vacation for a month from Romans, but we're going to get back in. And I think this is going to be, I hope, very enlightening for all of you. I've, I actually learned so much when I was studying this myself. Um, but I absolutely love Romans. I, I really do. I have loved studying it. I love preaching from it. Um, it really is Paul's masterpiece. Um, in this book, Paul tells us so much about the gospel. He teaches so much about Christ and what Christ has accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection, and even through his life. The Christology, that's the study of Christ that's contained in Romans, is so solid and so helpful for us to give us a better understanding of who Christ is. He explains in great detail uh, really the most important doctrine of the church. If we look at it, um, and actually, if you think about it, this month is actually Reformation Month. It's the month that we celebrate those who, who were burned and killed to get the Bible to people, to get the truth of the gospel back out to people because it was being hidden from them by the Catholic Church. We celebrate those people and we thank God for them because they've, they've helped us to have this Bible in our hands. But they fought for an essential doctrine, and that was the doctrine of justification by faith in Christ alone. And Paul teaches that so clearly in Romans, and it's, he, he does an awesome job. He he lays out many solid, essential, essential doctrines of our faith, really. He, he, he helps us to understand a lot about Christ and his teachings. And that's the thing. Most of all, what Paul is doing in Romans is he is solidly teaching Christ. And what Christ taught. You know, we've drawn some, some really good parallels back to the book of John and the book of Matthew with Romans. So he's teaching about Christ. He's teaching Christ and the Christian faith. And I think it's a wonderful teaching. Romans is an essential help to us in working out our own theology and our relationship with Christ and understanding that we are in Christ when we are born again. We're actually in him and, and, and we have so many benefits to being in Christ and being saved and, 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 and delivered from the sin that we have spent most of our life in, right? And it's wonderful. Um, but now we come to a pivotal chapter, chapter 7. Now, 
We've been doing an expository series. I'm not, I'm not going to skip chapter 7. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about this chapter. He said, anyone who knows anything about Christian doctrine and theology will often have talked about and argued over this chapter. So this chapter has some things that have been argued about in Christianity. But we're not going to avoid it. We're going to dive right in. Because I believe that there are some awesome things just in these first four verses we're going to do today. There's some awesome things that God is really showing us. So I'm really looking forward to this chapter. For us to break down some things and get some things straight in our Christian faith. Now hear the infallible inspired word of God. Romans 7 verses 1 through 4. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, for the power of it, that it is infallible and inspired and it is inerrant. It stands the test of time that men were carried about by the power of the Holy Spirit to write this, that it is your breath. You have breathed it through their hands. We thank you so much. God, we ask you right now to remove the veil that we may see a clear revelation of who you are through this text. God, we ask you to bless us with that revelation knowledge that we may retain it and use it in our daily lives. Holy Spirit, illuminate our minds to this scripture. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So, our focus is definitely going to be on verse 4. Because it's going to bring everything that's said before it together. Our, our focus is definitely going to be there. But we're not going to skip over the importance of the verses 1 through 3. These verses are definitely a case of Paul doing what Paul does best. You guys know why I love Paul. I call him the special education teacher of the Bible. I'm a special education teacher. I know there's times that I have to repeat the same thing in several different ways to finally get my kids to take it, to, to grasp it, to, to, to bring it in. Paul does that a lot. But one thing he's great at is drawing really good comparisons. He's awesome at making analogies and good comparisons that help us who may not get things as easily. We, he, he tries to make it so we get it. And I'm thankful for that. I need that. I, I have to have that help. So he really does what he does best in these first three verses. But I want to break these verses down kind of verse by verse so we can see what he's trying to say. First of all, in verse one, it says, or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. First, we get to a very important piece of this puzzle of what he's trying to say, okay? The very first thing that we need to see is that he says, brother. 
He says, brother, Paul is writing to fellow Christians here. He's writing to fellow Christians. Although not just Christians can benefit from what's written written here, just as pretty much all of Scripture. But there is a special benefit for Christians to understand with this. See, knowing Paul's intended audience gives us some helpful perspective on what is actually being written. I think we always need to look at who's he writing to and, and, and the time and what's going on in the time. But he's, he's telling us who he's writing to. He's writing to brothers in Christ. So, Paul then writes a very important phrase to the whole rest of the text. And that's this. The law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. This is true for any law. This is not just God's law. This is any law. Here's an example. We don't go to graveyards directly after a convenience store has been robbed. Because somebody who has been dead didn't do it. We look for live people, and that's who we try to prosecute, right? Because it doesn't make any sense to try and hold somebody who isn't alive accountable for something that happened just now. The law is not binding to them anymore. So when we pass away, we're not held to the laws that we leave behind. Okay? And that's, that's something I think we all need to, to really grasp. Because you're going to see why in a minute. Why that's important for us to understand. Dead men don't have to follow laws. Now, Paul takes this point and gives us a wonderful analogy in the next two verses. Verses 2 and 3 say, For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Paul writes this from the perspective of not the married man. He writes it from the perspective of the married woman. And there's a very important reason why. In this culture, the woman was under the authority of the man in marriage... Biblically, this is how marriage is kind of set up with a few clarifications, of course. Husbands, love your wives. Don't beat them down and rule them. Love them as Christ loved the church. Okay? That's a very different kind of authority than we see sometimes being abused in marriages, right? Definitely. Now, wives are not trampled underfoot but cherished and loved. That's how marriage should work. The husband, though, is still the head of the household, according to Scripture. Now, Paul uses the womanly perspective for a very important reason here. He is wanting to show how we are born sinful and under the authority of the law. Okay? 
Just as a woman in marriage is under the authority of her husband. We are born sinful and under the authority of the law. What the law says. God's law. The moral law. We know from being a young child that telling a lie to mom and daddy is wrong. Whether we do it or not, right? We know it's wrong. We know from being a child that taking something that doesn't belong to us is not right because what happens? We get a hand spank or we get in trouble, right? We know these things. That's the moral law that we're all born under. So when we're born in sin before Christ, we are under that moral law. The authority is that we are married to the law. That sounds tough, right? But it's true. We understand it. We have to understand that. We're ruled by something, no matter what the atheist thinks, no matter what the agnostic thinks. We're ruled by something. The very worldview of good and evil exists because we are under the moral law of God. It's his law. It's his, it's his world. He created it. We are made in his image. So we bear that in ourselves. Now, Paul uses marriage as well because... It is a sacred union created by God. Marriage, no matter what you've heard, is not a piece of paper created by man. That is absolutely false. Because if you look in Genesis, man was created. It was the only thing that God said was not good was that he should be alone. So from man... From his rib, the woman was created to come alongside him and be a an helpmate. And, G and Adam said something very interesting about the woman when he named her. He said, she is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. He was making a marriage vow to her that they would be united in marriage until they parted in death. You see, marriage is very serious. So, that's why God uses it as an example of union throughout the scripture. And Paul is using it here as an example of union. Okay? You see, this, the, the, even though sometimes this verse, these verses are taken out of context to be something about marriage, it says something about marriage, but this is not about earth marriage. Okay? This is not about how a woman better listen to her husband. That's not what this is about. This is about the union. That we have with the law before Christ and what we see coming next. Because this union is so serious that it is meant to be until the parting of death. That's why we look at verse 3 that it is an adultery for a woman to live with another man while her husband is still alive. Because there's not been a death for parting. Now, I want to say this. Divorce is an, it was allowed. But the original intent for God's marriage was death. Till death do you part. Now we know that there are biblical reasons for divorce. We know that. But what we're talking about here is the original idea of marriage being meant to be together until parted by death. But... 
if her husband has died, she is free to remarry. A death is required to release her from the law, joining her to her husband. A death is required. And that is why I've named this sermon Newly Married. Much like this woman, we are under authority before Christ. We are under authority to the law. Whether we feel like we, should, we are or not, guess what? You are. You understand before Christ the moral law that sin is wrong. Even if you love it, it's wrong. That stealing something from somebody else is wrong. That killing another person is wrong. That lying against your neighbor is wrong, right? That telling mama, no, I won't do that, that's wrong. And that'll get you jacked, won't it? Especially with the wrong mama, right? You mess with the wrong mama, you're going to take it. We understand that before we ever even hear the law. Before it's ever even taught to us. Why? Because it is within us. We are under its authority. Here's the awesome thing. A death is the only thing that can free us from that marriage. Only a death can free us to marry another. This is a great example. A wonderful example to help us understand where we stand now. Okay? Y'all go with me on this journey. Because Paul is helping us truly understand the distinction between a life before Christ and a life in Christ. He's helping us to truly grasp the change, the new marriage that we get to embark on. Because before Christ, we were under the authority of the law. Leviticus 18.5 makes it clear. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Doing the law before Christ is the only way to gain life. There's only one problem. None of us can do it. You can't do it. It's impossible in yourself. So that leaves us in a conundrum, in a pickle. What do we do? This verse says the only way to life is by keeping these statutes that I begin breaking as soon as I have the ability to walk or talk. What do I do? I'm glad you asked because we come to verse 4. Verse 4 says this. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Discussing the relationship of the believer to the law can be extremely difficult. Extremely difficult. What's our relationship to the law as a believer? 
Because there are two opposite sides. There are two extremes that we can go to. Two major problems that we can have. The first is this. The first is the side that tries to get the believer to believe that they are justified by keeping the law. That's the be a good person gospel. Just be a good person. This leads to one of two places as taught by Brian Chappelle. We will either end up in pride or despair. That's the only place that you can go if you try to follow the be a good person gospel. If you try to be justified by doing the law and doing great things and being good, you will either swell up with pride saying, yeah, I've done that. Just like the rich young ruler who talked to Jesus. Yeah, I've done that from, my, from birth, man. I've kept the law from birth. We swell up with pride and we say, I'm a good person. Or we fall into despair because we wear ourselves out trying to do good, be good, act good, and never measuring up to the standard. And we feel despair. We feel like giving up because we will never meet the standard. It's a dangerous route to go when you try to follow the be a good person gospel. And it's very prevalent in modern church today. But then, there's the other side that says, do whatever you want. You're under grace. It's all good. God's got you covered. Jesus saved, died to set you free from your sins. You're good. There's truth in their statement, but there's a problem with where they lead. They lead you down the path of the antinomian gospel. It leads to lawlessness and destruction in the life of the believer. You see, we say, it's all good. We pick out only the verses that don't make us uncomfortable in the Bible. We begin to, to just act however we want to act. We don't need the church. We don't need other believers. We don't need all these other things because we're good. And here's the truth. If you are in Christ, sin absolutely is dead in your life, and it's great. But God did not call us to lead a life continuing down that same path that we just got delivered from. He didn't call us to that. So, both of these are absolutely false teaching. Absolutely. But let's break this verse down, because I think it's going to help us see what the truth is. The first part it says, you have also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Christ died on the cross, bearing all of your sin, taking the full wrath of God upon himself, died physically. He died. But how does that help us with our marriage to the law? Because the law didn't die because Jesus said himself, I've not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. This is one of Paul's core teachings. We died to sin. If we are in Christ, this is true because a death has occurred. How has that death happened? Because I was crucified with Christ 
And yet I live, but not I live, but Christ lives within me. The old dead man has died. There's been a death. So now, therefore, I love this phrase. You may belong to another. You may belong to another. We have died to sin. Our old dead man has died and we are free from the law to marry another. We did, we, we, we did die with him. It's, it's a moment in the past. It happened if we were in Christ. And now we are alive with him. Christ died to free us from being under the law and subject to every penalty due to us because of the wrath of God upon sin. He died for that. Why? I want to read you the first part of Romans 3.20. It says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Christ died because he knew that there was no way through the law to justify us. He died to take the penalty for our sin and justify us through faith in him. We are justified by the grace of God through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, all for the glory of God alone. We have been set free. You see, because that in and of itself destroys the idea of the be a good person gospel. It destroys the idea. Those who think I can do good enough, I can be good enough, are sneaking in the wrong way. They're never going to do it. We don't do the law and live. Christ fulfilled the law and has given us eternal life through what he has done, not what we have done. We earn nothing in this kingdom. Christ earned everything through what he accomplished. But the verse doesn't stop there. It could stop there and we could feel good and, and, and just go home, right? Because that's so powerful and awesome. But there's one more phrase. In order that we may bear fruit for God. You see, all of this has been done. All of this has been accomplished for us. In order for us to bear fruit, good fruit. We, we've been good at bearing bad fruit all of our lives before Christ. But now that we are in Christ, he wants us to bear good fruit, to be fruitful. How? I love what Romans 13, verses 8 through 10 says. Listen to this. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love 
is the fulfilling of the law. Bearing fruit does not happen under the authority of the law. In fact, under the authority of the law, the only thing that really happens is finger pointing, accusation, division, and hatred. Under the law, be a good person. And in our country, it's now agree with me on everything. Right? That's the division. That's, that's the dividing line that has been laid out in our country right now. But we as Christians, we rise above that because we bear fruit in love because Christ has fulfilled the law. You notice what it says here. It lists all those commandments and it says you fulfill the law when you just love your neighbor as yourself. Because if I love you, I'm not going to steal from you. If I love my wife, I'm not going to commit adultery. If I, if I love you, I'm definitely not going to kill you. We love. We rise above hatred and, and division. We take stands where we need to, but we do it all in love. You see, now we bear fruit in love because Christ has fulfilled the law. We do the good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's what we do. That's how we bear fruit. Now this gives the antinomian gospel no leg to stand on. Because guess what, people? If you are in Christ, you will do good. You will. Because he changes you. He makes you different. You don't live the life you used to live. You don't live the same life as the world. You are different. And guess what? It's okay to be different. It's okay to do good. And I love what Brother James said last week. And if you fail in it, which you will, guess what? Repent and keep going. Because that's the way we live. That's how we live our lives. We keep going, doing good. Why does this matter? I've given you all this great information. I've, I've done this study. I've spent hours preparing a sermon. Why does it matter? Or as a, a preacher that I really like says in his sermons, so what? Why does this matter? First of all, it matters because of this. We are born in sin and under the authority of the law. All of us. That's where we start this life. That's what we face. People who are not in Christ, guess what? That's the marriage that they are currently in. And here's the thing. It's an abusive marriage. Because they will never meet the standard set up by the one they are married to. It's impossible. Secondly, the law cannot justify us because we cannot do it. Does that mean we throw the whole law out? Does that mean we throw the whole testament out? No, absolutely not. Why would we throw out the very book Jesus quoted 
while he was preaching. That's a terrible idea. If he was quoting it, there's got to be something in there for us, right? We can learn. But we can't do it. The people of Israel could not do it. Y'all ready for this? Moses could not do it. David could not do it. All these mighty heroes of the faith could not do it. But, number three, Christ fulfilled the law. You may hear it said because it sounds so cool and edgy that, 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 that Christ broke the law for love. Absolute heresy and lie. He didn't break a single law. Why? Because he's God. He kept it. Every single law. Now, did he break some traditions of the elders? Yep. But were they the law? Nope. They were extra biblical and not the law. You see, the Pharisees, a lot of people don't understand this, are heretics. That's a different teaching. I'd love to teach that one day, but they were heretics. They weren't Bible lovers. They were heretics. Four, in Christ, we die to sin and are made alive through him. So that marriage that we're in, we have all the just cause in the world to leave it. Because number five, there's a new marriage. There's a reason we are called the bride of Christ. And this is why. Because we leave being under the authority of the law to coming under the authority of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And it's a better marriage. And it's a better life. It's a better way to live. And guess what? It's a life where you realize I cannot fulfill this law. And Jesus says, I have covered you with my righteousness, not yours. Your righteousness is filthy rags. My righteousness now covers you if you're in me. Christ has done the work to set us free. And number six, now we bear fruit and live a life of holiness. Listen to this. By the power of the Holy Spirit and Christ's finished work. Not my ability, not my coolness and how good I am, but because Christ is good. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us, directing us towards this word, comforting us, living in us. He is the help that we have always needed. He is the helper. So, why does this matter? Because it's the only life that leads us to eternal life. It's the only way to live a fulfilled life on this earth. Because we got to understand, no list of cool things, no interesting sayings, no teachings that sound cool are going to get you to live your best life now. I heard a... <laughs> Very interesting quote 
If you're living your best life now, I think it was Shylin, right? If you live your best life now, then you're probably going to end up in hell because this is definitely not your best life if you're in Christ. Your best life is the time when you open your eyes and you look in your Savior's face and you are glorified and you are forever with Christ. That's the life we're, we're aiming for. That's our best life. And this one can be a lot better if we just trust what his word says and trust in him to be our righteousness. I want to pray for you. Because look, all of these things that we teach out of Romans, this is doctrine and theology that helps you to put your hope, not in yourself, but in Christ. You put your hope in Christ, not in any TV preacher, not in any podcast preacher, not in any uh, radio preacher, not in any preacher who stands in front of you every Sunday in the pulpit. You don't put your trust in me. You put your trust in the Christ that I try to point to. That's where your hope is. Christ. Not me. Not anybody else. Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We adore you. We lift up your name higher than any other name. The name of Jesus Christ, which all knees shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. We lift you up and give you worship this morning. God, we pray that this word would change us, would help us to see the great thing that we have come out of, God, the great debt, the great suffering, the great weight of knowing that we are under authority to something we can never accomplish, and that, Father, through Christ, we can be married to another. If anybody is in Christ in this place, they have entered into a new covenant marriage with Christ. And we ask you, Father, to help us to always put our focus there, to always see you, to always see Christ, to always feel and, and listen to the Holy Spirit in our hearts, knowing that he is there, that he is not a goosebump or a happy feeling or a happy dance. He is God, the Holy Spirit within us, leading us to your word to find out who you are more clearly. We thank you for that. Father, right now we pray for anybody under the sound of my voice. Whether they hear this online or they are in this building. Anybody who is not in Christ, God, is in a marriage to a law that they can never keep. A marriage of disappointment. And God, we ask you that you would call them unto yourself that they may repent, trust in the gospel, have a brand new heart, be completely regenerated in Christ, be a new creature, and enter into that covenant marriage with Christ. For that is their only hope. God, we pray for the sinner that they would run to Christ, cling to Christ, and trust only in Him. God, I pray for each person in this building that they may be changed by this word and meditated all this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight we have at 5 p.m. at uh, the Bradford's house, we are having our fall get-together. 
Going to have soups, games, fun times. Y'all come. Everybody is welcome. Uh, coming up next month, November 8th, we are having a baptism. Now, baptism is a very serious sacra- sacrament, um, very important to the believer. Um, I have one person who is being baptized. If anybody else needs to talk to me about baptism, I ask that you would do that. Um, I want to discuss it with you before we just go jump in the water, okay? It's more serious than that. Also, November 15th, we are having a membership. There's at least one person who wants to join our church. He has gone through all of the uh, questions and answers for membership, and he would like to join. There may be more who join as well. And uh, we're going to present them for membership on the 15th. And then coming up, I don't remember the exact date. Is it the last Sunday in November? The last Sunday in November, we are doing something very special. Uh, I have been working with Brother Garrett for over a year through the Word, through doctrine, through theology, through teaching, to train him up to be a biblical elder. Now, a biblical elder is not what we've had in the past. What we had is a board of deacons. A biblical elder is somebody who could stand in as a lay pastor. And he is going to take upon himself the responsibility of a discipleship pastor in our church as a lay pastor. So we're having an ordination service for him. I've got a couple of friends coming to help me do the ordination service. I ask that you come, show your support for Garrett. It's going to be an awesome service, and we cannot wait to ordain him as a biblical elder. And it's going to be a wonderful thing. So I ask that you be in prayer for that. I think that's all I have to announce. So now let me bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. God bless you. hope you were blessed by this message from Pastor Jason. If you like what you heard, go ahead to our Facebook page and like Reality Church. Also, go on YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Reality Church. God bless you. Mm-hmm.